Hello, and welcome. I'm Lisa Lancer Rose, and this is This Animal Life. where Anna's gone off to, well, she went off to work. She got a job. Um, I miss her. Anne's a lot of fun, but I'm happy for her and she's doing great. I'm sure she'll be back. Um, You know, at least for a guest episode every now and then. I'm going to introduce you to our listeners. This is Sam Wilburn. Hi. Hello. It's nice to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. I'm really excited. She's a naturalist, zoologist, photographer, and artist based in Tucson, Arizona. She works for Reed Park Zoo and volunteers for the Arizona Master Naturalists and Coalitions for Sonoran. Did I say that right? Sonoran? Yes, Sonoran. Sonoran Desert Protection. She also runs her own art business at Sam Wilder Art, LLC. She has experiences ranging from zookeeping, to wildlife field work, to environmental education, and endless stories about her favorite wild animals in wild places. But we're going to talk about coyotes. Coyotes. One of my one of my absolute favorites, which is a hard thing to say because I admit I do have so many favorites. But ever since moving to Arizona, coyotes just really have my heart. So it was the move to Arizona. Well, I didn't have. I I think I didn't know. I wasn't, I didn't have as much exposure to them in other places. Um, they were there, but uh, it's nothing like it is here. I've only lived in Tucson now for about three years. And I mean, I see, I hear coyotes daily, you know, I hear them and I see one or multiple eh, like two to three times a week, you know, they're just, so they're just, they're everywhere here. You can't not know them. You can't not notice them. And so it just leads you to just want to keep learning more about our little dog neighbors. That's how I see them. I didn't, I think I thought that they were uh, a Southwestern thing because I watched Looney Tunes and I, you know, and I saw Wile E. Coyote, right. And that was the desert. I didn't think, yeah. I didn't think we'd have them. I thought we had wolves. I lived in New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. So, um, well, you didn't have them. Um, they were, they were only a Western U S thing. Um, they were only in like the prairies and, and the deserts of, of the Western U S as recently, you know, as as less than a less than a century ago, that that's where they were. And now they're in all 49 States, except for Hawaii, but they're in all of the other ones. And we didn't put any there. They've done that all on their own. So yeah, yes. they're now in New Jersey. They're on the East coast. They're in Florida. You know, they're everywhere. I had did this double take, I guess it was 1998. And I was traveling to this remote Pennsylvania town with a friend and we stopped to get directions. This is before, you know, Tom Toms and cell phones and all. And Mm -hmm. there was a sign on the door of a little convenience store and it said coyote hunt and it gave a date. And I thought, first of all, I was really worried about the coyotes. And second of all, I thought, how are there enough coyotes here for there to be a hunt? How did this happen? And that sparked me to 
research more about them. And what did what did you find? Was in in that area were they did they were they doing it because they thought there were too many yes. coyotes? Do you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know that was over twenty years ago, right? Um, I decided I, I had just written a book about dogs, and I decided, well, this is a natural next book. Is I'm I'm going to find this out you know, and I'm going to find why, why are they going out? And like, it's a posse. <laughs> They're going to go hunt them down and kill them. Why? Yeah. You know, I was really interested because, um, because they, like you said, they were, they're just wild dogs. They can interbreed with our pets and our pets are, they sleep in our beds with us. We buy them sweaters. I mean, how, why would we go, <laughs> you know, band together to kill these guys? This one guy, I remember this, it was central Pennsylvania. It was in the mountains. And this guy comes out of this, uh, out of that store and he had a flannel shirt on. He was a big guy, you know, and he had his pickup truck with a gun rack, you know, and I asked him, mm -hmm. uh, what's with the coyote hunt? And he said, um, I think it's wrong. Coyotes are dogs. Oh. And he yeah. And he opened his pickup truck and there was a Lhasa Apso on the seat. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. And they really do have that that bad reputation i mean you mentioned you know the the kind of famous coyote from cartoons is wiley coyote of, from the looney tunes and he's he is the villain of that cartoon um you know he is he is the bad guy and you're supposed to kind of be rooting for the roadrunner to outsmart him and it's funny that that cartoon does also though pick up on how smart they are that cartoon does he is portrayed as the bad guy but he's portrayed as a really smart bad guy and very clever He's a super genius. He is a super genius. He's his name. Whenever he's writing something, it's Wild E. Coyote. Super genius. Yes, they give him all the little fake Latin names, but always, always showing that, yeah, they, you know, they're generally thought of as very smart. Um, people think they're smart and clever and tricksters, but also so many people hate them. And that's most animals that when people think of an animal as being smart, those are some of people's most favorite animals. You know, people love elephants because they're smart. People love dolphins because they're smart. They love horses because they're smart. Um, everyone thinks, you know, there's this general consensus that coyotes are also very clever, yes. intelligent animals. Uh, but those feelings of love don't extend to them in a lot of cases. That's such a good point that we love smart, you know, I finding out that a creature is smart can completely change our regard of it too. Like an octopus, mm -hmm. suddenly we find out that how smart they are. They can unscrew jars that they're, you know, inside or you know, escape almost anything. Uh, crows, they, they were nuisances. And then we found out that they have something like language and they can solve all these complex puzzles. And suddenly they're, they're pretty sharp, dapper, kind of handsome birds. Like why, why aren't we rehabilitating our view of the coyote? Yeah, and I think, you know, some people are, um, it's, it, it definitely seems to be a very fear-based. Um, I think mm. people have a lot of misconceptions that coyotes are dangerous to kids, to livestock, to pets, to adults. I mean, people think that, you know, I, I know people who would be terrified to see a wild coyote you know, even if they were walking with a group of other adult humans, they would, they would think that there could be threat there. Um, and there's not, and I can talk more about, you know, some of those oh, misconceptions good. and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, they're, they're not <laughs> threatening. And they, basically the short answer is they're not very threatening to really any of those things. Um, you know, they want to eat vegetables and cactus fruits and small rodents. I saw that 30% <laughs> of their diet, 30% is, is 
uh, vegetable matter. And then another 10 to 15 is garbage, (laughs) you know, and and then mice, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're great for rodent control. They're excellent at rodent control, um, which great. We need them to do that. So that's a fantastic thing, but no, there's definitely that fear. Um, especially one, you know, one of the things that really pushed for people, um, to put hunting pressure on them was that fear that they would kill livestock, sheep, cows, things like that. So what's the truth about that? They, they're waiting. No, (laughs) Um, I mean, they're, they're too small. There, there is rare evidence that coyotes, um, can sometimes come together in a group of like two to three. So it's a, a slightly, you know, not a pack of like wolves where wolves can make these giant packs. And wolves are much bigger. So much bigger. Wolves are like a hundred pounds. Coyotes are like 30 pounds. You know, the, the Florida coyote is <laughs> even smaller. They're itty bitty. Yeah. The further North you go, um, the larger a coyote will be, but even then, even with two or three of them, you know, there is evidence that they have successfully hunted, um, like a moose before on very rare occasions, wow. which is amazing, but it's rare. And, and, you know, that I don't think there's any evidence of them hunting cattle And there are rare instances where they have hunted things like goats or sheep. Um, but that's not, that's not what a coyote would want to hunt. They, they're going, they want, they want the rodents. They want, you know, maybe something as large as a rabbit. And then they want lots of fruits and veggies. They want insects. They really want your garbage. That's what they really want most is they want your trash cans (laughs) and your dumpsters. So Uh, they're really scavengers as much. Yeah. They're just opportunistic, whatever. Like a raccoon. Yes. Yes. Which is why both, um, both of those species do just so well you know, uh, in, in urban areas is because they'll take what they can get. Um, I mean, everything. So here where I live in the Sonoran desert in Tucson, coyotes, um, follow the seasons. We have really severe seasons that change drastically from one season to another. Um, so during our, our bloom season, you know, when plants are growing they're they're almost their entire diet might be mesquite pods, which is something that come off of our mesquite trees here. So they're eating tons of mesquite pods. Um, then in late monsoon season, we have these big bursts of tons of insects. They're going to switch to being almost an insectivore. They're going to just be eating tons of bugs during the leaner winter months. There aren't bugs. Okay. No, no green things are growing. So now that's when they're going to be hunting for mammals, for small mammals, for those mice. Um, so that's what would happen here in the desert, but wherever the coyote is, they'll eat what's there. There was actually even an account of coyotes in Nova Scotia that were hunting seals. (laughs) that's what was there, (laughs) you know, in a lean Nova Scotia winter, I guess coyotes will go after a seal. So, um, yeah, which is incredible. That's how you survive is you just be willing to adapt to whatever the environment has to throw at you. It's what we would do. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. There, yeah. There. And that's, that really does come from a different kind of intelligence that, that deep adaptability, because not only Mm -hmm. can they physically do that, but they're smart enough to to know to know when they have to eat from you know different food sources than the season before and make do with what they have they must be excellent problem solvers oh there's yes they are very very good problem solvers yes they um they they can manipulate things uh really well with mouth and paws and that's something people are probably if you've got a pet dog you can be familiar with that too um something that canines are really good at that sometimes is overlooked is, is their ability to undo um, even things like puzzles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you can hear my cat. And that's okay. 
in the background. <laughs> Your cat's welcome here. Yes. I, I just wish she was. She, uh, she is oh. deaf. So she doesn't know quite how loud she is when she meows. Uh, <laughs> uh, She's yeah, a tuxedo I, cat that you she just is. put in your lap. I did yeah. just put, yeah, I put her in my lap hoping that that would make her, um, that was what she was meowing about. So I was hoping that would have her stop doing that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but coyotes, they're, they're excellent problem solvers um, and they can manipulate objects in the same way that a lot of the other canines can where they can hold things with their feet and then they can manipulate things with their mouth, with their tongue, with their teeth. So yeah, they can physically problem solve, like physically solve puzzles, um, whether that's, you know, getting a rodent out from its pack rat nest of, of sticks, or whether that's, you know, seeing if they can find a way under a fence that you thought could keep out coyotes, but it cannot, you know, um, whether it's digging or climbing or taking your fence apart, you know, like there, there are, yeah, they're, they're, they're clever. All right. I'm beginning to feel what some people must feel when they're afraid of them. I, the fear I think comes, comes down to people fearing, um, for their safety and that of their pet safety. And that that's when we hear a lot. And we, that th there's a term in ecology that goes along with this called NIMBYism and NIMBY stands for, oh, have you heard of NIMBYism? <laughs> no, I just like when we have new vocabulary words on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's an acronym. So it's N it's N I M B Y. And then I guess, Oh, okay. NIMBY. And it stands for not in my backyard. Oh, okay. Yes. And, and yes. And, and it's a term where it's people love wildlife and conservation. Oh, but not in my backyard. Um, and in Florida, mm -hmm. you guys deal with this all the time with panthers and which are endangered. You know, we want as many more, you know, globally, I guess, you know, for the sake of the world, we really want as many panthers as we can possibly get. We want more and more and more panthers. And a lot of Floridians, uh, I was also I'm born and raised in Florida. So still count myself also as um, a Floridian. Um, they want panthers too, but not in my backyard. Um, right. And unfortunately, if everyone thinks that, it's like, okay, well then where, where do they go? <laughs> you well, know, this, that's the only green space anywhere in Pinellas County anyway, it are the backyards. Yeah, people are like, oh, well, I want there to be panthers in all of the wild lands of Florida. And it's like, where are, have you been there? You know, <laughs> Yeah, there are some, um, sure, but but it's not. I think people generally have this conception of like, oh, somewhere out there, out is somewhere mm -hmm. is the wild in quotes, and that's where all the wild things go, uh, and that's just not the truth anymore. Now it's urban landscapes with little fragmented wild patches in between them all, and so if animals are living in the wild, they're still moving between urban areas, um, and a lot of animals there isn't large enough wild for the populations that we need so it's gonna live in urban areas um, and that's when people kind of take offense to that I guess people don't like that <laughs> another dictionary word I guess would be uh Lovejoy's Islands you studied those no no tell me about them that's uh what you were just talking about I, I can't remember who Lovejoy is I wasn't I would have I would have done my homework if I knew we were talking about Lovejoy's but we, sh we should have because this is so integral to the coyotes Lovejoy's islands are taking the concept of an island in evolution mm -hmm. where uh, say like Australia you have these isolated creatures that uh, that evolved separately from all the other creatures elsewhere so you have all those marsupials and so forth that you don't see anywhere else that they were separated because of water from a great distance from other land masses. So you have this isolated gene pool on that island. 
But once we started dividing up the land by removing all the trees, putting enormous highways down, we, we created islands on the land that were separated from each other. And so larger creatures like the Florida panther couldn't survive because they need larger territory for hunting than we've allowed them anymore. It's like the island got too small for them. Mm-hmm. It couldn't sustain them anymore. And then we have effectively isolated other creatures. I was thinking about a, like a sci-fi story about a Lovejoy's Island in which um, possums, I don't know why I thought of possums, but, but possums just got enormous mm. and nobody knew, you know. That happens on islands where they think things start growing in size, things get bigger on small islands. So yeah, I, I, it works for me. Yeah. I never wrote it though. Somebody else, you can have that idea. Yeah. And we see that all the time. And, and yeah, it is from urbanization. Does it climate change is doing it as things start going up mountains and now they're stuck on the tops of mountains so the, um, and they can't, they're now on an island of altitude where mm. the sea is lower altitude as opposed to um, water. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we do see that. Um, and that is common in animals and the way that the animals that are best able to combat that are the generalists that, uh, that can do just fine, you know, in the deep ocean that is urbanization and coyotes are one of those species. That's why I love them so much. I just love, there are so few ecological success stories of animals that are doing great. And man, coyotes are doing great despite everything. And I love it. I, you know, we just stumbled into something I read in Scientific American. Um, when was this? They said we need to stop looking at coyotes as static entities. This was Roland Case of the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences in Raleigh. He says they are evolving. They are rapidly evolving. And and the article talks about, um, and I'll I'll have this in the show notes, talks about how uh, there are different sizes in different regions, um, in part because they seem to be interbreeding with wolves Mm -hmm. up north and dogs in other areas. And of course, anything that comes here except alligators and and cane toads and cockroaches gets smaller (laughs) in in Florida, right? But he says... uh, Two centuries ago, they were leading a very different life. Uh, and it was kind of the life that you were uh, describing out in the Great Plains. And they only weighed 10 to 12 kilograms. I have no idea. I think that I can't. I couldn't. I couldn't mentally compare that either. 19 was about 30 pounds, I think, 19 kilograms. So these were really small. Um, and they did. They couldn't compete and did not compete with gray wolves. And it was the eradication of the gray wolves and other apex predators that allowed them to spread all over North America. Yeah, because they do have some natural predators, not, you know, not, none of their natural predators are anything compared to the numbers that that people um, kill via by active hunting or, or hit by cars. There's a lot of things like that. Poisons, because um, people put out rodenticides for rodents. So then whatever eats those rodents is now also getting poisoned. Yes. I hear that happens to owls and all. Uh, everything, yeah. Um, all, all of the wild cat species, all of your wild canid species, all of your birds of prey, anybody that's eating a wild rodent, um, th- yeah, it, yeah. It rodenticides a, a huge problem. So, so we're doing most of the damage, but the coyotes do have natural predators of wolves, bears, and mountain lions um, where they are there. And they actually saw that. There, there's a study that looked at the coyote populations in Yellowstone before and after that famous wolf introduction that happened in the 90s. Um, and, and the numbers went down. Once you have wolves back on the landscape, coyotes aren't your apex predator anymore. And they weren't ever naturally, they were never really the apex predator. They're supposed to be kind of 
an, you know, a, yeah. a mid-level predator, um, a, a term you can sometimes call them is like a meso carnivore or a meso omnivore. Oh, okay. Um, middle, middle management. Yeah, they were, they were kind of in the middle. When we take those big, um, you know, apex predators out of the ecosystem, now suddenly coyotes are the top dog. Um, and that definitely has allowed, that helped them spread um, as well. There's this website called uh, Urban Coyote Research Project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been there. Yep. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah. I was, I was reading some of the articles there, and one of them was about uh, how feral cats have changed their behavior when coyotes enter an area. So it's that, like that shuffling of predators. Now a, a higher ranking predator, a more powerful predator moves in, and then the lower ranking predator retreats and, and adapts. Yeah, we were talking about their effects on pet cats. And this ties into what we were saying with people mm -hmm. being afraid of them being a danger to their pets. Um, and the truth is they're really not a danger to dogs. They can very rarely, um, they can uh, prey upon small dogs, but again, they're very wary of people. So if your small dog is in your yard or on a leash, that's not likely to happen. Um, in fact, they did do a study and I don't know who they is. I'm so sorry. Um, cause this is something that I just <laughs> happened to know off the top of my head, but, uh, there was a study where they were looking at stomach contents of, of coyotes, of deceased coyotes. I, I have some, um, some resources on stomach contents that I'll, I'll share. Great. Uh, and they very rarely, yes. the only times they found dogs were coyotes that also had dog food. So it was people that were feeding their dogs outside um, putting out dog food, the coyotes, when they come every day and eat the dog food, because that's a great, you know, if it's healthy for your dogs, it's healthy for coyotes too. What a great free food resource that they're going to take opportunity mm -hmm. of. Uh, and then over, you know, those were coyotes that got way too comfortable with people, way too comfortable with the dogs they were near. And those were those rare cases where dogs were, um, were on the menu for the coyote. But for the most part, dogs are not, you know, your dog, your pet dog is safe from a coyote, especially if, your dog is on a leash when you're out with it, um, or you know you're supervising your very small dogs in the backyard. Your medium dogs, you really don't have to worry about it at all. They're <laughs> they're they're going to be fine. News media or the Mean World Index, you know, where the in order to get clicks, the headline will be alarmist. Oh yes. <laughs> when at, as I was doing research, this is what I found. I found really scary um, titles, news titles like. Um, invasive coyotes are numbers are booming and they're here to stay you know and uh, and it would promise like the subtitle would be like uh, cats and dogs are in or your your beloved pets are in danger um here's what you can do to protect your loved ones and then you read the article and there were they would take quotes from naturalists out of context mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so you'd see a little bit of that, and if you followed that naturalist and found the, their origin, they uh, they were actually much more generous and and low key about it all, like you are. Um, but they they said things like, um, if you have a small dog, don't have it on one of those long retractable leads. You have to keep it on a six foot leash. Like like if the if your <laughs> if your Chihuahua happened to wander eight feet away instead of six feet away. That's the difference. There's, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a coyote in the shrubbery just waiting to snatch your dog. Um, and I, I am, I teach at a dog club, I'm the president of the dog club. So I, you know, anytime anything scares somebody in my little community, they, they want me to know about it. So I sometimes hear, oh my gosh, I saw an article. We, you know, we need to warn everybody about coyotes. And I find I get kind of irritated. Another thing that I saw was um, video 
like you'd, you'd go to this Bay News 9 or something, you know, and there would be a, a clip, a video, and they they only have like 10 seconds total of various clips of coyotes, video clips, but they play them over and over again. <laughs> and the coyote is usually, you know, as they're talking, the, the clip runs over and it's a, it's a coyote trotting down the middle of a suburban road. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, um, and it looks enormous. They will, they the make them look so big. <laughs> yes, people think they're they, huge. Well, they're built like a wolf, and they're marked a little bit like a wolf. You know, so the the thing looks eighty to a hundred pounds the way it's trotting. You know, it's got that low head, low tail, that that feral trot. You know, like it trot all day. It probably does trot all day, all, day, yeah. all night. Yeah, yeah. So it has a very efficient and an intelligent gaze you know but um if a man was standing next to it it doesn't even come to the guy's knee no they're so little <laughs> because they are so little they're uh, my i have two border collies and they're small border collies one's 35 pounds and, and one is 40 pounds and the coyotes are smaller than yeah say dogs. that's about I yeah can... coyote size yep yeah yeah and and i think people people need to before jumping to those kinds of conclusions, I urge people to think like a coyote because the reason, you know, I feel like that well-known reason um, is we know coyotes are wily, they're clever, they're smart. Why would something so smart go after food that's so hard to get? If food is on a leash attached to a big scary primate, that would be us. Um, that's, that's not what the coyote wants. Coyotes want the easy meal. The reason they're so successful and the reason they live so well is because they're so opportunistic. They're going to always take your easy meal. They want your trash can. They want the pet food you left out. They want, you know, to find a nice rat's nest um, under somebody's deck or something that they didn't know about. You know, they, they're looking for easy choices. They do not want to jump a backyard fence to steal your pet dog. That's hard. They don't want to do that. People really leaving dog food and cat food out is that is that a common thing yeah uh, where i live um a popular thing in my neck of the woods which is not woods there are no trees here it's all cactus but in, in my <laughs> neck of the desert um is yeah people do have dogs that are strictly outdoor dogs that they don't allow okay. into their home um you know there are ethics about that that could be talked about when it's 115 degrees for four months of the year here um but oh. I, yeah my <laughs> Um, I, you know, uh, so, but, but it, it, it's, a, it is, it's a thing that happens here. Um, and I guess, yeah, if you're feeding your dog outdoors, you're feeding everything else that might want to come for that snack as well. Um, the cats on the other hand, though, people, you know, in, in all of ecology, everyone who has anything to do with ecology or biology is affected by outdoor cats. We all have, you know, someone who's doing a study on, on some tiny songbird is just as frustrated as somebody who's trying to study diseases like toxoplasmosis transmission is just as frustrated as a vet who has to actually take care of pet cats. Uh, everybody, we're all, we all get very frustrated by outdoor cats because they really are devastating on so many parts of ecology. Uh, and, and so those all the time, pe people do let their cats roam. That's still something we're really combating, not just in the US, but globally, is we're trying to help people understand why that's such a bad idea for your pet, um, but also for the wildlife, for literally so many fields of wildlife. All right, so can we talk for a second? Let's just do a little comparison because uh, I had seen this headline that said the coyote was invasive, but it, it's not invasive. It's it's naturalized. Yeah, I would argue because the term invasive um, is it's an animal um, that is introduced 
to an area and, and it could be an animal that came there on its own or an animal accidentally or purposefully introduced by a person. Like the cat. The cat is actually invasive. So the cat actually, the, okay. the, yes, wild cats or even domestic house cats that are not feral are absolutely considered to probably be the most damaging invasive species on the planet. I mean, I would argue, um, and a lot of people would argue they're mm -hmm. one of the absolute worst. Coyotes actually don't fit the bill of invasive because they're not damaging. Um, so they are introduced. Yeah, they are introduced. There are places where they are, a lot of places where they are non-native. They have spread there on their own. They're, they are now found in places where they were not historically found. So they are an introduced species, but you, they don't fit that invasive bill because all the studies are showing they're not, or their, their presence is not doing any harm. Um, they are not, it's not like bird populations suffer because of them. They're not doing anything with disease changes. All those things we look at, we look at other wildlife populations. We look at disease transmission. We look at, you know, are they trampling foliage? And no, no, they're, they're just here. They're just, they're very, they're very respectful neighbors. And uh, because they were, they're natural to this landmass, they're simply expanding their range yeah yeah they, they are it's different than invading the, yes yes it is different than invading and, and it's different than you know a lot of times we struggle with invasive species because they are out competing some mm -hmm. native species um or they're um so coyotes aren't out competing anything because there's no other dogs their size red foxes are smaller wolves are bigger mm -hmm. so it's not like them mm -hmm. moving into a space there's not some other kind of equally sized predator that they're now impacting so they're just kind of they fit into their own little niche they're not too big they're not too small to have those impacts um, and then they're not because they're such generalists they're not decimating any single population of anything another thing i found when i was looking at how are they portrayed by the media <laughs> you know, why why are my friends, some of my friends, not all of them, why are some of my friends so scared when they see one of these headlines or there's a, something on the news? When you read the whole article, most of it is about how well they fit in and, and how much good they're actually doing because they're, they're filling, a, a gap was created when we ran off uh, other predators and now they're doing the function of uh, controlling rodents and other things like yeah that. people that's a great way to get to people's hearts um is is once once you tell people something eats pest species that's a great <laughs> method uh in education i i i work a lot um i love snakes i have one as a pet and i've also worked with a lot of reptiles in my life and that's one of my go-to stories for people that you know people hate snakes people hate snakes a lot more than they dislike coyotes um and i'm like yeah, yeah but you know rats can transmit a whole lot of disease and because a snake is a reptile, when they eat the rats, they don't get the diseases and like free pest control, you know? And, and that's a, that is mm -hmm. a way to get to people's hearts. And I, I actually, I have seen that what you're seeing, like that I've seen that increase um, in, in positive media. The headline was not flattering. Maybe the first paragraph, it, it gets your pulse racing a little bit. And then the rest of it is, okay, now, now that I scared you and got you to click this article, let's all calm down. And that seems to be, you know, because here where I am now in Tucson, we've had coyotes here forever, um, you know, since like the Ice Age. So, yeah, what did I say? 25,000 years? Yeah, they are certainly not new um, to my to my region. Um, they are yeah. such a, a natural neighbor here. There isn't so much of that negative connotation. I was just going to say, I, I think that in areas where they're new, that's where the fear comes in. And I'm hoping that over yes. time that will go away and people will come to accept them as neighbors in the way that Arizona, at least, or at least parts of Arizona seem to have accepted them and love them.
one of the things that I, I guess always bothers me was that uh, that moment I told you about where I asked the man who looked like a hunter, what's going on with this coyote hunt? And he said, I think it's wrong. The coyotes are dogs. Mm -hmm. You know, how can how can you not see that that's that's a wild dog that can actually interbreed with your dog? It is so like your dog that they can mate. It is a dog. That's so interesting because a lot of these similar sentiments are echoed in wolves. You know, there's a lot of yes. there's a long history of people hating and fearing wolves, um, which are also, well, wolves are literally the same species <laughs> as, as the domestic yes. dog. Um, and you know, we also see it, people, people uh, have deep fears and hatreds for mountain lions um, and even for things <laughs> like bobcats. And yet we have our house cats that we love so deeply. So it is really interesting. I don't, I don't have the answer for that, for why one is okay. And one is not one is some people think one is to be feared and one is to be loved. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer. Especially hmm. if you, if you already understand, if you're already a person who understands things like dog behavior or cat behavior, because you have them in your life, you know, you already, yeah, you already are now safer around these animals because you kind of do know how a coyote thinks. It thinks like a dog, you know, it acts yes. like a dog. If it growls, you know what that means. It, uh, a coyote would not <laughs> growl, you would run away. But if it runs away, you know what that means. If its tail is tucked, people that know dogs are already understanding these kinds of body language. So we already have a leg up for understanding the coyote. Um, and, and learning yes. that, you know, there's nothing to fear there. They just run away from you. <laughs> you don't need to get a posse and go hunt them. No. <laughs> um, I also read a lot about uh, coyotes in New York. Yeah. In the city. Right in New York area. City. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They're on yes. Long Island now, yes. too. They moved onto the island. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I saw um, coyotes are in Key Largo. Wow. So every, <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to know, did they, did they take the road or did they swim? apparently they're really good swimmers yeah yeah they they can they can do it you know they can adapt to such different biomes it's it's amazing um go away <laughs> you know there are only two known killings of humans by coyotes one was a child in canada i think there's a a list on wikipedia of coyote attacks but only two were fatal. Yeah, I, I saw that too. I think I also saw the, the two number, which uh, is so small, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a very, oh my I gosh, mean, think yes. about how many children died of domestic dogs all the time, um, every year and, or by their own parents. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's a small number. And I think that those were an, a rare thing that can happen to coyotes uh, is disease and is rabies. And I think if I remember correctly, mm. that that at least one of the, you know, cause that would cause a coyote to lose its fear and act very differently if it was rabid. Um, but thankfully coyotes are apparently, uh, rabies is, is really low in coyotes, um, which I wasn't. Isn't that interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it, they're, they're lower. They get, they get rabies less than even deer and even cows. So you don't have to fear rabies in a coyote any, any more than you would fear it in a field of cattle um, or, you know, or seeing a pretty herd of, of deer or something. So, um, they're not, they, they can get it, but they're not known as a rabies carrier. I read old yeller. I saw them. Yeah. And, and that's another one. people, <laughs> people think, and that, that holds people remember that people remember there's a rabbit coyote and old yeller and that led to that tragic ending. And people remember that. And like, while yes, that could happen. Yes. Coyotes can get rabies. It's actually really rare. It's not, it is not something you know, and realistically in that movie, they would, the, the number of random rabid things that they probably would have <laughs> encountered before they'd ever come across a coyote, 
you know, there's so many other animals where it can be so much more prevalent. Um, it's, that's not something that when people are thinking of what are actual concerns that we need to think about having a coyote population in an urban setting, rabies is not one of them. So why is it that you are so captivated with coyotes since you went out there? I mean, what, like, do you remember the first time that you were enchanted? I, I do. I remember, uh, well, growing up, I was obsessed with wolves. Still am. I mean, I, I love it. Mm, me too. Me too. <laughs> you know, they say that every kid, it's like one of five animals that kids get obsessed with. And it's like wolf, dragon, dinosaur, dolphin, horse. horse. Those are, those are them. You get one, you pick one. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I've actually still never seen a wild wolf um, working on it, though. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do remember the first time I ever saw a wild coyote. And it was when I had moved to Western New York. It was in the Buffalo Niagara Falls area. And I saw it roaming a landfill. And of course I did. Of course. Looking, looking back on that, I'm like, yes, of course it was on the landfill. <laughs> that is that makes great sense. Um, but at the time, I was at the time, I just lost my mind because it was the closest thing I had seen to a wolf. Um, and I was just so excited about yes. a wild canine and I, I, yes, I was captivated. Uh, and, and I, I love, I, I love underdogs. I, I really do love a lot of animals that people don't like, hence the pet snake. Me too. <laughs> I've worked with many, a uh, couple species of cockroaches and I've really loved working with them too. I was just going <laughs> to ask you that. You got a soft spot for cockroaches. I do. I, I, I really love the underdog. <laughs> so much of ecology and biology is such a bummer in this day and age. There are so many things that I'm that are on the endangered list that you realistically are like, wow, I sure love cheetahs, but how many more years am I going to get to love cheetahs? Because it doesn't look great. You know, I think it's important for everyone in this field to not forget about the species that are doing awesome. And that's what really led me to coyotes is because I just needed that good feeling um, of it's not all doom and gloom. There are some really cool success stories. There's a lot of them. Um, the news just doesn't, the media just doesn't like them as much, um, but they're great. And that's what really led me to that love of coyotes was, you know, that initial captivation, but then learning that they're winning against us. I love that. Um, I mean, humans, it's estimated we're, we kill uh, like 500 to 800,000 coyotes every year are killed by humans. Whoa, yeah, a, a massive number. And on so many species, a pressure like that would lead that species to be extirpated from those regions where that's happening. And we've been doing that for like 100 years, at least we've been killing that many every year. And despite that coyotes are still winning. <laughs> It's amazing. Yes. That's why I love it. Yes. I saw somewhere that uh, the eradication programs are backfiring. Yes. Yeah. They actually, I, and that was something I only learned, you know, recently in, in the studies and stuff I've done through becoming um, an Arizona master naturalist, um, as I've been reading about some of those, you know, the eradication programs and the actual biology of the coyote and what happens um, when you start um, taking coyotes and by taking, I mean, killing, it's the, the nice, the nice way to say when you're killing coyotes out of a population, uh, they, their actual biology and behavior will change and they start having larger mm -hmm. litters more frequently mm -hmm. and more of them start breeding. Um, Cause it might just be like a dominant pair. They are, they're really monogamous. Um, so if you don't, and they won't find a new partner in life unless one does die. Um, so when you start you know, when you start killing coyotes now, suddenly they're going to start breeding younger because they lost mom or dad. So they're going to go out and make their new packs faster. And then 
nose to start producing larger litter sizes and the litters, the infant mortality decreases, I guess I should say. So not only are the litters bigger, but more of the pups survive than in a regular year where there isn't a hunting pressure. Because they do use the howling um, to talk to their family. I mean, that really is what it is. I, you know, they're not howling at a moon. They're not howling. People think they're, um, you know, howling because they're like getting ready to go on some vicious hunt together and they're getting all excited. No, they're really, they're really just talking. They're checking in with each other because um, they don't travel in large packs. They, some travel by themselves um, or, you know, or they travel with their, their pair or if they have young pups, they'll keep their pups around and they're howling to talk to each other to know where everyone else is. And they, and they really are a family member. They're checking in on, you know, their older pups from last year and finding out where they are and, and, or they're calling out for their mate. Like, did, you know, did you get a rat? Where are you? And they're, you know, they really, it really is just family communication. Um, there is nothing about a coyote howl that, that needs to incite, you know, any kind of fear. And I, I love hearing the coyotes because, you know, I know so I'm listening to, I'm just listening to the family talking and, and that's really the way to look at it, you know? It's there. They're zooming. They're, they're zoom. zooming. Yes, because it's it's distant. Family it zoom. is the family zoom chat, and they can't see each other. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> or if you saw, was it one hundred one Dalmatians? Yeah, the, the 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 twilight bark, the midnight bark, the midnight. It's one of those. <laughs> um, I love when my own personal dog tries to communicate back, um, not nearly so majestically, but he tries, and I <laughs> and I get a kick out of that. There's a green space and some ponds here and there. And as I was crossing that on the, on the road, a coyote was crossing the road and had been running along that green space mm -hmm. toward a pond. And um, I knew right, right away what it was. It's one of the few coyotes I ever saw. It, you know, and it just trotted across my headlights. Yeah. But it looks a little like a very small German Shepherd. Yeah. And I could see how if um, if a coyote were trotting, say, along the uh, highway, I forget what number it is, that goes out the keys, uh, you might think it's a stray dog. Yeah. And there are some, you know, wild stories of that happening, of, of them ending up in like the county animal shelter or something. At, um, <laughs> and they'll be on like the adoption page of like, wow, this one's really, really not, you know, very afraid of humans, doesn't want to eat out of anyone's hand, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then some biologists will have to go on their page and be like, guys, that's a, that's a coyote. <laughs> you gotta let that one go. <laughs> yeah, it has happened. Yeah. People have made that mistake. That's adorable. I heard that has happened with a capybara too. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I don't know. This is just like a folktale or whatever. Oh, I believe it. I'm yeah, um, working in the zoo industry. People bring us things all the time. Uh, <laughs> have you uh, heard any stories about coyotes, individual coyotes solving a problem or ending up someplace they don't belong? Um, boy, that's a great question. Uh, I Oh, yes. Okay. Well, something um, that again was is something I've only heard about, I think all of science has only heard about um, in the past few years is we knew coyotes were pretty good at teamwork. Um, we knew that, you know, they were good at forming kind of these loose relationships with other coyotes and hunting in a, in a group. What is new and super amazing and my favorite, um, apparently the thing that they team up with for hunting doesn't have to be another coyote. <laughs> they will team with other species and the famous one that we now have a couple records of is they'll team up with an American badger and there is video evidence of a coyote 
meeting an American badger and they will help each other to catch something larger that they will then share, which is just so bananas. Both incredibly clever animals um, that could be harmful to one another, but they put those differences aside and they have this uncanny teamwork. They hunt together. They're pals. They're hunting the buddies. Are beyond cute. Um, there, there's one that. Oh, we have to find some. Yeah, there's one where it's caught on a trail cam, and the coyote is like playing with this badger. He goes down into that dog play bow, you know, where he puts the front paws down and the tail up, and he's like, "Come on, badger," you know, and the badger is following him. And oh my goodness, um, oh, so cool and um, really, really mind blowing that it, it, it comes down to the fact that both of those are animals that are really, really intelligent. That those are both very smart animals um and both animals that have enough social intelligence that's what i was just thinking about they would have to have theory of mind where they would recognize what the badger wanted and needed and that it was the same yeah and and that they could cooperate i i strongly believe animals can feel joy like it's animals can very much be happy and feel and feel joy and feel excitement and they're happy to see each other and happy to have each other's company and hunt alongside one another uh, for the benefit of both of them when, you know, when times are tough, like we can learn from that and learn to also work with our species that are in our ecosystems that we inhabit. They're different than us, but there's a lot more benefit if we can have this peaceful coexistence to, or to even a friendship. When I had heard that Otis, I'm just abruptly changing the subject because I, happened to find, I was researching him because I couldn't find the article that I had written about him 20 some years ago. So um, I was researching him online again to see if there was anything out there. And I found somebody wrote a song about Otis that they released just this year. Wow. It's just like back in April, I think. And it's called Otis and I'll have a, a, a link to it. But I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that before we went any further. And the story, what happened with Otis is um, reports started coming in on April Fool's Day in New York City that a coyote was in Central Park. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, no one believed it. Now, coyotes had been seen, I found out, uh, in the area, maybe not Central Park per se, but in the Bronx and surrounding areas. And usually if somebody reported it, uh, animal control would come and capture that coyote with, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's a kind of noose on a pole. Yeah, they're called catch poles. Yeah. Catch poles. Mm -hmm. And they would kill it with the catch pole. Oh, what? No, that's not what you're supposed to do. (laughs) No, no. Well, yeah, because um, it would have to be, I I guess this is, remember this is back in 1999. at the time, it was assumed that they would be rabid. They might be rabid. Yeah, and you can't test for rabies unless the animal is is deceased. Yes. Yes, and you also wouldn't want to spill its blood if it was rabid. So the safest way for you. Yeah, you don't want to touch to it. Yeah, you don't would, want to get a bite. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you would strangle it with the catch pole. So that was the fate of coyotes, by and large, if they were reported in an area. Uh, so I, I, don't, I bet you people who reported it often didn't know that that was that was what was going to happen to that coyote. Probably not. When yeah. They, when they came and caught it, it was it was a death sentence. So that was the fate that was Otis was looking at. 
uh, Otis was romping around Central Park. People saw it. Um, news crews heard about it and came uh, in part because it was April Fool's Day. So there was like this slapstick kind of um, chase. No one could catch him. He was slipping through fences and more and more people came to try to catch him. This is me, how I remember the story, yeah, okay, yeah. 20 years ago. All right. So it made for good storytelling. It made for good visuals. And finally, um, Otis was darted and they still couldn't catch him. He was hit with a tranquilizer gun and he was still running. Oh, yeah, they, they keep going. They don't. Yeah, it takes a while. Yeah, it like 15 minutes to go down. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he swam across the pond. I don't know if he was darted while he was swimming across the pond, but right around this time he swam across the pond and, you know, he fell asleep. And by this point, because it took so long to catch him and so many people were talking about it. So suddenly um, he wasn't just a pest. Yeah. Now people knew him, you know, they're rooting for him. Yes, because it was funny, because he was outwitting them and escaping them, you know, right? And he was caught outside the Pierre Hotel. So he was called Lucky Pierre. You couldn't kill him now, right? Yeah. Because he, he had a name and he had a story. He was the underdog, yeah, like you said. Underdog. Yeah. So um, I only, as I was preparing for our talk, did I know how very lucky he was because there were no places in zoos for a coyote. Yeah. You know, if they had any at all, uh, they were all filled up, right? But uh, the Queen Zoo agreed to take him, maybe because he had become a local celebrity. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. And I did catch, let me see if I can find it. I caught a, a quote. Sam, I didn't tell you. I actually went to New York City. Wow. Uh, pfft, wow. But I mean, what I mean is I went to New York City to do, to, to, for this. Yeah. To do research. Yeah. Um, I went to the places in uh, Central Park where he was trapped and where he's running around. Um, some theories were that he had come from Woodlawn Cemetery, which is in the uh, northwest area, uh, northwest of the city. And um, there is Riverside Park comes down the, the river there. And that's uh, the green space we're talking about connecting green space. Mm -hmm. The question was, how did how did Otis, who was a young male, yeah. right? So he was probably driven from his yeah, family of origin. Yeah, he's dispersing out somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he had a fight with his dad and he <laughs> had to leave home, right? You know? I mean, you're old uh, enough, got to get your own apartment now. Yeah. Yeah. Either get a job or go to school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Choices. So um, they chased him. Uh, it, it, the theory was because there was a, a, a pack in Woodlawn Cemetery at that time. So that maybe he had been it was that time of year when he would have been roaming. And so he, he maybe came down Riverside Park and then under cover of night. Uh, mistaken for a dog or whatever, uh, had cut across and made his way into the park and said, hey, this is this is great. <laughs> you know, um, so I went and interviewed the cemetery manager and I hiked from Woodlawn down Riverside Park and across to Central Park, passing the statue of Eleanor Roosevelt along the way. I wanted to see what Otis had seen and try to understand what he was thinking and feeling, you know. So I had asked a bunch of people, you know, I'd show them a map and I'd say, how do you think Otis got to um, Central Park? And they would all say he took the A train. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I got to go to Queens Zoo and meet Otis, you oh, know. Uh, wonderful. Yeah, it was great. And, um, you know, there he, he had been young, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, by the time I met him, he must have been, must have been 2000, 2001. 
So he had been living in the zoo for two years. Yeah. But when I met him, they there was a chain link fence. It wasn't it's a very fancy kind of zoo mm-hmm. there, right? It was it's like a chain link yard. Or maybe that's just where they happened to have him when I was coming. Mm-hmm. And um, they called him and he came up to the mm-hmm. fence and put his paws on the chain link and they could pet him. Yeah. Know? Yeah, but he got to live out his life at the zoo, you know, uh, so it seems like a happy ending. And that's kind of how I saw it. Even at the time, I didn't realize what it meant that, um, I mean, I I guess because, because I had seen that there was a coyote hunt and because I knew what happened, it, it is open season in that area, the no- in the Northeast anyway, there are certain creatures that are designated as pests mm-hmm. and it is open season year round. You can kill any of those animals anytime in any method yeah. with impunity. Yeah. And the coyote is one of those animals. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's still the case. Uh, pretty much. Yes. Um, their numbers are so good that, yeah, I don't, there's, I don't think there's any limits on, on hunting them really anywhere. Um, in fact, no, I was shocked when you said how many we kill so many. every year. So many, yes. I'm lucky that there are two major um, AZA zoos in the city of Tucson. One is where I work at Reed Park Zoo, and the other uh, where I am a member and just a big fan, which is the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum. And I was just there like a, a weekend ago, um, and I was sitting there watching their coyotes. Um, they have they have a coyote there too in this huge. A uh, nice habitat, and something that really struck me was I I am so used to only seeing very skinny coyotes. My the wild coyotes I see are so skinny because it's a desert ecosystem, and it's you know you got to be lean here. It's hot, and you got to have very little fur because it's so hot, and you don't get to eat very much, so you just kind of end up being rather skinny. And I was watching that coyote, and he was definitely he had good body condition. He was not overweight or anything, but I just remember thinking this this coyote looks weird to me because he's not so skinny. And I was like, this coyote has <laughs> lucked out. He's got, and he was laying in the sun and then he got up and then he like dug under a tree and then he went over and then he like found a, an enrichment piece that the keepers had put out for him. We started interacting with his enrichment piece. And, um, and I was like, this coyote has it so made, <laughs> you know? Okay. So Otis is, he did luck out. He did luck out. And I've been a zookeeper in those kinds of situations. Um, Probably most recently, I was a zookeeper for two grizzly bears um, that were orphans. Their their mom was a nuisance bear. So their mom was a nuisance bear in Montana. And in Montana, the rules is you get three strikes. And this is common with a lot of nuisance animals that if you're caught, you know, disturbing the human peace too many times, um, you get mm-hmm. you get euthanized. Um, so that was a three strike bear, meaning that she had been in too close in a human neighborhood, eating trash cans and stuff. Repeat offender. Repeat offender. Uh, and they don't relocate those animals, one, because there's often no place to relocate them to. And two, because especially if it's an animal that's territorial, they will travel huge distances to get back to their territory. Um, so unfortunately, a lot of times relocation isn't such a great solution as we really want to believe it to be. And in this case, they killed, they killed mama bear, but she had two little cubs. So those two little cubs came to my zoo and I was blessed to be their zookeeper. And, you know, and if it wasn't for us, they would have had to also be euthanized, even though they didn't do anything wrong, um, but they couldn't survive without her. Mm. Grizzly bears are much too young. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people would think that that's a sad story, um, that the bears are now in a zoo, that growing up in a zoo from a young age throughout their mm-hmm. whole adult lives. Man, those are the happiest bears. My, my, I'd be like, oh, like, let me talk to you about these bears. Let me show you these, you know. Um, oh, that's wonderful. 
fabulous life. They, you know, they, they really do. Um, they, they get the good life where they never have to eat trash out of a trash can. And, and I agree that in an ideal situation, bears wouldn't be eating trash in trash cans. There wouldn't be these human problems that we would need to save bears from. Yeah. I, I agree. I totally agree yeah. with people that are like, I'd, I'd rather get to be a bear completely in pristine wild. There isn't a pristine wild in the places where there are these bears. So they have the awesome life at the zoo um, and they were so smart and so good. And I loved giving them enrichment, just like the enrichment. I was watching the coyote figure out which was a puzzle feeding device. They love it. They love those kinds of games. I wonder if Otis is still alive. I did not see uh, an obituary. I think in human care, I think the record is, is close to like 20 years. Um, a lot longer okay. under, a lot longer in human care than I should totally, I'm making a note here. I should How totally check my, my buddy Otis that I yes, met once. <laughs> and zoos do that. Zoo, it's so interesting how we as humans, we can eat a, meet an animal one time at a zoo and we will keep that feeling. We will keep that connection uh, with us where like you will meet an animal one time and you feel like you've had that amazing connection. And that's such a really cool thing that zoos have to offer people are those chances to make that connection to a natural animal, get that empathy that you maybe wouldn't get if you see a wild coyote crossing the road. Yeah, yeah, and and help help break down those fears, help build that love, because, you know. Yeah. Exactly, he put yeah. his paws up and I got to pet him, you know? Uh, this guy, Richard Lattice, who's the president of the Wildlife Society and director of a bunch of small zoos and city parks yeah. in the area, he said, we have the opportunity here to make an interesting story. Of, uh, he said this of accepting Otis yeah. into the Queen Zoo. The story is that every time humans and wildlife conflict, wildlife loses, Always. whether it's elephants in Africa or coyotes in New York. Yes, absolutely. They, yeah, they, they always lose. And, and the ones that get to come into, and I understand not all, not all zoos are equal and not all zoos are good. Wildlife Conservation Society is famous for having some, some great facilities, but um, uh, yeah, no, they're, they're the great ones. They're, they're excellent. Um, I'd like to think that the one I work for is also pretty great as well. Um, and, and, you know, those are part of the lucky ones, you know, those are part of the animals that are ending up on, on the good side um, of the human wildlife conflict. My husband's South yeah. African, Afrikaner. They have an expression, the cat that fell in the butter. The cat that fell in the butter. As happy as the cat that fell in the butter. I like that. That would be, that would yeah. be, my cat would be quite happy with that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe Otis. Fell yeah, in Otis sounds like sounds like he lucked out. Um, definitely, as far as I hope so. as as coyote standpoints go, and there's a lot of other lucky coyotes that are you know that are succeeding despite despite the odds. So because they're wily, they are so wily. Yes, they're so clever. So one of the things that whenever somebody talks to me about you know coyotes invading our suburban haven and all, you know, I think well we're the worst invasive oh, yeah. species oh yeah <laughs> you know why, why aren't we trying to call our numbers you know yeah they... I, I mean I don't want to be called and I don't want anybody that I know to be called <laughs> not in my backyard no calling here and and the real solution exists the best options and solutions um, exist with changing human behavior and changing how we view our environment and how to coexist with them, that mm -hmm. is going to go a lot further than any actual changes in human population. You know, that, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's a term that I, I can't think of, but um, oh, it might be <laughs> eco-fascism or something, but, but basically the thought that humans <gasps> are, you know, the root of all evil and all of 
you know, the best thing we could do would just be to get rid of all of us. And, you know, there's definitely some truth to parts of that, but it's not, it, it is the wrong way of thinking. Um, and it's not a healthy way of thinking. And there are so many great solutions um, in living in harmony uh, with our, our wildlife, our, our native neighbors that are around us. Something that the, 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 the ultimate resource um, that, is, that is a great resource to wherever you are locally uh, is almost wherever you live, there was probably someone, there was probably a group of people that were living there for thousands of years before mm -hmm. you and were living there in harmony with the land a lot more than you were. Humans evolved and, and are part of the landscape of the Sonoran Desert just as much as the saguaros and just as much as the coyote for just as many, many thousands of years. So it can be done is the point. And it was done for many thousands of years. And wherever you live, I definitely do encourage anyone listening to find out what the local people of your area are. That's my dog. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I encourage everyone um, to look up to- That's a great a idea. Yeah, like a tribal nation maps that you can find. Because um, I guarantee your people are, people are still there. People kind of think that, um, the indigenous people of our past are somehow this past tense thing. They're not, they're, they're here. They're still, um, they're all, our, they're in our community right now. And a lot of that knowledge of how to peacefully live on that land, because they just got thousands of years more experience at it than, than, than I do. How to um, grow our own food better. You know, that's where all of these learnings of maybe, you know, don't have a lawn. Um, all of that is great knowledge yeah. So oh my you, gosh. You can learn the best about yeah. how to live in your home. By the way, you just reminded me. There's a great article by Michael Pollan. I, I he came to my attention ages ago because of this um, article called "The Case Against Long." Yes, good. I'm all about it. I'm all for it. It's a beautiful. Also, essay. who wants to mow? You know, no one likes mowing the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> good point i will look up links and resources um that i can share with you um on where to get yeah the information on best practices for living for living peacefully with all of your wild neighbors even the ones that you know you might be afraid of that are smarter that are outsmarting all of us we can still that's why they're great you know that's why we can live with them so well because they're just so clever and they're cute they're little they're like little little German Shepherd guys with their pokey ears, you know? Yeah. And they look a little bit like border collies. This was so much fun, Sam. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. This was a blast for sure. It was. It, yeah, I hope we can talk again. Yeah, absolutely. Yay. Okay, great. Thanks to our clever artist, Sarah K. Martin, for today's illustration. We owe this school theme song to Chip Salerno. If you want to learn more about Coyotes, Otis, the song by Moose and Elephant by that name, and Sam Wilbur's work in art, check out our website and show notes. If you like this podcast, please let the world know you support the underdog. Please like, review, and subscribe. I love thinking about animals, understanding and interacting with them. And you, dear listeners, are among my favorite animals. Take care of each other. Until next time.